Well, let's take our Bibles now and turn to the New Testament. Uh, We're beginning a new series tonight on the New Testament letter of 2 Peter. And you'll find our reading tonight on page 1018 of the Pew Bibles. Uh, 2 Peter is towards the end of the New Testament. Uh, Peter wrote two letters. 1 Peter is probably more well known. Uh, 2 Peter less so. And over the next few weeks and probably months, Uh, We're going to walk our way through this letter and try and understand what it means for us uh, and apply it to us as individuals and also to us as a church family. Uh, Tonight we're reading 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 11. And as I said, you'll find it on page 1018 of the Blue Pew Bibles. So 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. And as we read, we always remember this, but we remember that this is God's word to us. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins." Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. I will finish our reading there, and we give God thanks for his word to us. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Peter. Uh, You'll find 2 Peter on page 1018 of the Pew Bibles, and you'll find it really helpful to have it open in front of you. We're going to work through uh, the opening couple of verses tonight, and as you're turning it up, uh, let's take a moment to ask for God's blessing on our time in the Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the ultimate goal of the gospel of you saving us is that we would one day be with you and that we would feast in your house with you forever. But we pray tonight that you would help us to feast on your word, to take it in, to take it to heart, to understand it and to go into a new week refueled for what we will face. We pray that you would come by your spirit and speak to us and challenge us and help us to see new things from this, uh, this obscure letter in the New Testament. And we pray that the Lord Jesus would be glorified most of all and his name lifted high. And we pray these things in his precious name. 
Amen. Fakes are a nuisance. Fake artists make fools of collectors. Fake financiers embezzle millions at the expense of honest investors. Fake scientists inflate their own reputations by writing on the back of other people's hard research. Fake merchandisers steal the personal property of others. I, I have memories of being in foreign country, countries on holidays with stalls that had signs that said, genuine fakes. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Genuine fakes. So you can go to a stall in a far, foreign country and buy a handbag that has the Coco Chanel logo on it. It looks like a Coco Chanel handbag, but it isn't a Coco Chanel handbag, and it doesn't cost as much as a Coco Chanel handbag. It's a genuine fake. It doesn't affect you or damage you, but someone somewhere is losing out. A multinational company that makes millions of pounds. Fakes are a nuisance. In some other areas of life, though, fakes are not merely a nuisance, but actually pose a serious threat. The fake call handler who rings you to say that you need to give him your bank details because you've been hacked. The fake salesman who calls at your door but who is secretly checking out how much security you have. There's also the potential damage caused by religious fakes. The obvious ones, those who are in it just for the money or prestige, the Joel Olsteins, the Joyce Mayers, the Kenneth Copelands of the world, well, they can be avoided without too much difficulty. But, but there are other religious fakes that are harder to uncover and who can do more damage in the end. They have well-meaning but muddled phrases. They have easy platitudes, biblical-sounding phrases, and a view of life that is unrecognizable when compared with what the Bible teaches. Re- religious fakes are the reason Peter wrote this letter. While some prey on people's wallets or good nature, ultimately all religious fakes wreck our eternal destiny because a false gospel tells lies about God. Fakes lie at the heart of Peter's concern in this letter. He mentions false prophets and false teachers in chapter 2, verse 1. They turn out to be false disciples, 2.15, and they teach stories that have been made up, 2.3. Peter is alerting his readers to the ever-present danger of being fooled or even by becoming Christian fakes. This letter is an urgent one. That's because it's written in the shadow of Peter's looming death. In 1, 13 13 to 15, Peter talks about his departure, his his departure from this scene of time. Peter has already written one letter to Christian believers. This is his second, and it's perhaps not as well known as his first. We're starting a new series on this letter this evening, and we're going to take our time to work through it. Tonight, we're only going to get as far as as verses 1 and 2. I'm not going to say an awful lot in terms of background. There are lots of good resources out there that will help you with background issues. If you're in the church WhatsApp group, you'll have seen the video introduction to 2 Peter. If you haven't already, you might find it helpful to watch that video at some point. The Gospel Coalition website also has a good introduction to the letter, and so does the ESV Study Bible. The, the only thing that I'm going to say in terms of background to this letter is something about its tone. The tone of the letter is more polemical than pastoral. Now, what does that mean? It means that it's a fighting letter rather than a friendly one. At points, Peter is surprisingly belligerent. Chapter 2 is written on a war footing, but Peter doesn't hold back as he writes. 
But that's because of the underlying theme and heart of the letter. In writing this second letter, Peter wants to make clear what a proper knowledge of God is. And we'll see that as we progress through this series. And as well as that, Peter wants to provide us with grace that stops us from falling. His own life experience comes through in this letter. And in light of it, he wants to point us to Jesus and to what he has done for us. Fakes lie at the heart of Peter's concern in this letter. And he's alerting his readers to the ever-present danger of being fooled by or even becoming Christian fakes. Verses 1 and 2 are a standard opening to an ancient letter, but they also begin to highlight Peter's concern. He wants to ensure that the Christianity we've received, believed, lived, and passed on to others is the genuine article and not a substitute. Peter isolates four areas where we should check what we believe against what he believes. Where our gospel came from, whether it's as good as the original, what difference it makes in real life, and the doctrine it teaches. In other words, we need to check our gospel's origin, quality, results, and content. And that's where we're going tonight. That's what we're going to cover this evening. We've got four points, and we're going to work our way through them quickly. Our first point tonight is the gospel's origin. Let's read verses 1 and 2 again at this point. It says this, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God, our Saviour, of, God, of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. P Peter presents himself in the normal way at the start of the letter and explains his credentials. From its first word, this letter claims to be the authentic writing of an apostolic eyewitness of Jesus' life, teaching, death, and resurrection. Je Jesus had called Simon among his first disciples and made the rough fisherman a fisher of men who would feed his sheep. Uh, one person I read this week pictures him in this way. They say, when I think of Simon Peter, I imagine a broad-shouldered, loud, extroverted, assertive man who is always sweating. He was a headstrong, unbridled hulk who was always getting into trouble and causing his master plenty of the same. Uh, Jesus, of course, renamed him Peter the Rock because he had acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. You can read about his life as a disciple in the Gospels, and you can read about his life as a church leader in the book of Acts. Uh, Peter was more than likely martyred during the reign of Emperor Nero. Uh, the Roman historian Tacitus records that Nero killed Christians in the most brutal ways. Uh, some were covered with the skins of wild beasts and torn to death by dogs. Uh, others were fastened onto crosses, and when darkness came, they were burned to serve as lamps for the night. P Peter was more than likely crucified upside down. He's in the departure lounge as he writes this letter, but notice how he introduces himself. He says that he is a servant and an apostle of Jesus. By using these two titles to introduce himself, Peter wants his readers to know that in the end, he both served and led the church for Christ. He served Jesus as a willing disciple, but he was also part of a unique group of people who led the early church. In the Old Testament, there are five great commissioning scenes where God's agents are sent into, into, into the world, into, into Israel, to his people. 
God commissions Moses, Gideon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel to go and speak to his people. But by calling himself an apostle, Peter is claiming to be the New Testament equivalent of an Old Testament prophet. Peter was writing in a time when there were calls to replace and change the apostolic gospel. And we face the same pressures today as Peter's readers did then. The gospel is viewed as inadequate to meet the demands of modern men and women. Apparently, it requires radical redrafting to be relevant. But as Peter lays out who he is, a servant and an apostle, he's saying, I'm standing in the line of apostolic teaching, that this has been handed down to me. I am simply passing it on. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, as we begin to work our way through this letter, we should realize that this letter's importance is not because of who Peter was. It's because of who sent Peter to us as an apostle, the one of whom he says he is a servant of, Jesus Christ. The gospel's origin comes from the teaching, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Peter stands in the line of apostolic teaching. There are no apostles today, but we can, we can consider ourselves apostolic if we hold to the apostles' teaching of the old, old story. That, that, that's the gospel's origin. Our second point is the gospel's quality. P P Peter and his fellow apostles actually knew and heard and were with Jesus. But we live 2,000 years after all of the events recorded in the gospels. Lots of people ask, well, wh why, why is all of this relevant to me? D -d Distance seems to make the message of the gospel less significant. P P Peter's readers felt this. He, he, he writes to assure them that despite their remoteness from gospel events, they are as privileged as the apostles. The great news is we have the same assurance. It's with that in mind that Peter writes the following in the second half of verse one. He says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and savior, Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. How, how does someone become a Christian? Think about the answer in your head. How does someone become a Christian? One person might say, because I believe. Another person might say, because God chose me. According to Peter, both ways of stating it are correct. On the one hand, we believe. It's a fundamental definition of a Christian that we are believers, that we have faith. By using the word faith here, Peter is talking about the subjective faith in Jesus Christ that's, that's the inward reality of every Christian believer. But Peter also knows that, it, that it's not our feeble faith that, that holds us close to God. It's God who does all the holding. And that's what he means as he uses the word obtained. The, the word in the, the original language comes from the world of politics and, and was used of the appointment of government officials. Government officials obtained posts from someone else. Peter reminds us of the fact that if any Christian believes at all, it's evidence of the sheer fairness of God. He's kind in that he gives us something. That's one of the hallmarks of the gospel's quality. God is giving us something that we don't deserve. But there's something else. Peter goes on to say that our faith is of equal standing. Now, this is really something. P P Peter is talking about God's impartiality and what he's saying is that his faith is just as good as our faith. It's the same faith. The incredible truth is that if, if we're believers, 
were viewed in the same way by God as all the generations of believers who have gone before us. The ground at the foot of the cross is level ground. Dick Lucas writes this. He says, How gracious of God to fling open the doors of his heaven so wide as to include absolutely anyone who has faith. If we're believers, we're viewed in the same way. The ground at the foot of the cross is level ground. That, that speaks of the gospel's quality. The gospel's origin is found ultimately in Jesus Christ. The gospel's quality is seen through God's gift to us and of how my faith and your faith gives us an equal standing before God. And then there's the gospel's results. But Peter is keen to point out the, di- the, the difference genuine Christianity makes. In verse two, he says that it gives us grace and peace in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And New, New Testament writers frequently start their letters by, by for, New Testament writers frequently started their letters by taking over the standard secular way of opening a letter. So grace normally meant no more than hello, but they joined it with peace to make a Christian greeting. Peter uses the greeting to show from the start that grace and peace are at the heart of what he believes and what the Christians he's writing to are slipping away from. Grace and peace are what Peter longs and prays for them to experience. Grace simply means the generous heart of God who determines to treat sinners as he lovingly wishes rather than they actually deserve. Now that's worth me, worth me repeating because, because we use the word grace a lot in church and I'm not sure that we fully comprehend it at times. Grace simply means the generous heart of God who determines to treat sinners as he lovingly wishes rather than as they actually deserve. It's God's, God the Father's sovereign good pleasure, totally unmerited by us, which raises us from the ash heap to a throne of glory. The gospel is grace, God's good pleasure to delight in people who don't deserve it. The immediate result of God's grace is that his rightful anger at our sin is appeased and that we have peace with him. That's achieved through the death of, of, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And peace became Peter's message. Uh, peace became Peter's message in Acts 10. In Acts 10, he preaches about the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. As a result of being reconciled to God by the death of Jesus on the cross, we have peace with God. If we slip away from this message of grace, we forfeit peace with God and only face his anger. Importantly, though, Peter says this grace and peace come in the knowledge of, God, of, of our God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, knowledge is a very important term in this letter. Peter talks about the knowledge we have of God. He talks about information, knowledge of how we're to grow as Christians by being better informed about God and his word. But he also talks about personal knowledge, the kind of knowledge a husband has of his wife or vice versa, a knowledge that goes beyond knowing things about them and a knowledge which actually knows them. If we don't know Christ himself, then knowing things about him, knowing information about him is a fool's errand. You can know the Bible inside out. You can read systematic theologies, but you can do so without knowing Christ. Peter is saying that grace and peace 
only comes through knowing him. And knowing him means believing in him, trusting in him, and relying on him. The gospel's origin, the gospel's quality, the gospel's results, and then finally the gospel's content. One of our favorite places to go when we're back home is the Silent Valley on the outskirts of Kilkeel. You've maybe been. Uh, you can walk to two different dams at the Silent Valley and you can take in the breathtaking scenery of the moorns. The dams are filled by water that runs down the mountains. Uh, just as water flowing from a pure mountain spring can be polluted by a chemical works downstream, so, so an initially pure gospel can be polluted by muddled teaching. And a polluted gospel is a powerless gospel. In verses 1 and 2, Peter makes four extraordinary statements about Jesus. The man he knew as a close friend. He designs them as indicators of the purity of the gospel's content. He says that Jesus is the saviour. He says that Jesus is God. He says that Jesus is the Christ. And he says that Jesus is the Lord. Can you see all of those titles in verses 1 and 2? They're very obvious. They're very clear. The, the, the fourfold description of Jesus is important because it puts him at the center point of human history. As God, he guarantees that his words and works cannot be replaced or revoked. As Christ, he fulfills all the Old Testament promises. As Savior, he died on the cross for our salvation in the past, present, and future. And as Lord, he claims the right to our individual love and obedience. There's a constant temptation to separate these four titles. One person said that 2 Peter was written to people who claim Jesus as Savior, but do not obey him as Lord. So many people do that today. They use Jesus as nothing more than insurance for a rainy day. They say they trust him, but trusting him means nothing because he is not their Lord. It means nothing during the week. The titles Savior and Lord go together. It's only because Jesus is the Lord that he can be the Savior. And if he is the Savior, then he owns those he has saved and he has the right to be their Lord. The words are inseparable. This is the gospel's content. Jesus is the Savior. He is God. He is the Christ. And he is our Lord. If we present the gospel in any other way, then we're not presenting the gospel. It turns out you can pack quite a lot into two verses. This sermon is, is really just the introduction to this series. We're really only getting our bearings and, and beginning to figure out the message and purpose of this punchy letter. But Peter packs a lot in, in his introduction. He wants to ensure that the Christianity we have received, believed, lived, and passed on to others is the genuine article and not a substitute. And Peter isolates four areas where we should check what we believe against what he teaches and believes. The gospel's origin, where our gospel came from. The gospel's quality, whether it's as good as the original. The gospel's results, well, what difference it makes in real life. And the gospel's content, the doctrine that it teaches. I hope that having dipped our toe in this letter, you're intrigued and you'll want to hear more about it. For now, though, I want to finish by thinking again about the gospel's results. Through trusting in Jesus, we have grace and peace. The daughter of the king of rock and roll died this week. Lisa Marie Presley, the daughter of Elvis Presley, died at the age of 54 on Thursday. 
The Daily Telegraph ran a fascinating article in yesterday's edition entitled The Original Princess of Rock, Lisa Marie Presley and Her Struggle to Find Peace. The subtitle said, Daughter of the King, Inheritor of Graceland, Lisa Marie Presley's life should have been charmed, but it was anything but. The article told the sad tale of four failed marriages, a music career that never really took off, and addiction to various substances. In life, Lisa Marie looked for peace in all the wrong places. Let me quote you a profoundly sad paragraph from the article. She, Lisa Marie, was music royalty from birth, Rock's original princess. Inevitably, Lisa Marie followed in the footsteps of her father, and inevitably, she fell short. She genuinely made some fine music, but against such expectations, she never really stood a chance. It would be a lot easier if I were a nurse, she once told me with dark humour. But music's where my heart is. Music's what, what, what makes me happy. And honestly, the way she said it, it was hard not to infer that happiness was not something abundant in her life. One of the biggest lies that we can believe about life in this world is that the thing that we chase after and want the most will truly satisfy us. But the sad story of Lisa Marie Presley reminds us that you can inherit material riches beyond your wildest dreams. You can be the daughter of an earthly rock king. You can have people and, and property. And in the end, happiness might not be that abundant in your life. Peace might not be that abundant in your life. T -t Tonight, as we edge our way into this letter, we're reminded of the grace and peace that's offered to us by the Lord Jesus. And in comparison to what's on offer elsewhere, we're surely left thinking, why would I bother with anything else? Jesus offers grace, grace being the generous heart of God who determines to treat sinners as he lovingly wishes rather than as they actually deserve. And Jesus offers peace. Peace being the reality that God's rightful anger at our sin is appeased. But peace is also that sense, that reality, that experience in, we, in which we put our heads on the pillow at night and despite whatever's going on in the world or going on in our lives, we can know that nothing will separate us from the love of God. Jesus is the saviour Jesus is God, Jesus is the Christ, and Jesus is our Lord. And what's on offer with him is better than anything that you can get anywhere elsewhere. We should give ourselves to him. We should give ourselves to his word. And we should look to him and find our rest and satisfaction in him. The purpose of this letter is to make sure that we're the genuine article in terms of what it means to be a Christian. We're going to see that as we work our way through it. But this evening, as we've dipped our toe into the waters of Second Peter, we've seen the gospel's origin, where the gospel came from, the gospel's quality, whether it's as good as the original, the gospel's results, what difference it makes in real life, the gospel's content, the doctrine that it teaches. Now, what if you're here tonight, and all of this doesn't really make sense? It's probably because you're not a Christian. You're not the genuine article because you haven't believed in Jesus. Well, tonight you need to turn to him. You need to trust him. And in doing so, 
you will have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Saviour, he is the Lord, he is God, he is the Christ. And the ground at the foot of the cross is level ground. Let's pray together. Father, we pray tonight that having looked at the opening of Second Peter, that you would help us to live and be the genuine article. We pray that we wouldn't be fake Christians, that we wouldn't live in a way that dishonors you or that is unfaithful to you. But we pray that by your spirit, you would help us to walk the walk and talk the talk. We thank you for all that we've thought about tonight. But we thank you most of all for the grace and peace that is ours through Jesus, our Savior. We thank you that he is the one who satisfies the longings of our souls. And we pray that we would rest in him this evening. We pray for those who don't know him, that they might come to know this grace and peace as well. And we pray all these things in our Savior's name. Amen.